Wow, good morning. Uh, my name is Derwin, and I want to wish you happy Easter. I'm so glad you've joined with us online this morning, and uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. We, some of us were up bright and early for a sunrise service. It was so great to meet on, on Rochester Field, uh, seeing the sunrise uh, above us. It was awesome. Um, some of you are singing at home and loud, and you're scaring the neighbors. I think that's awesome. Uh, let's do it again. Uh, that refrain that we, we often say on Easter morning, I'll say he is risen. You reply with he is risen indeed. So one more time. He is risen. Well done. Thank you. Quick story to start. Five-year-old Brian had a pivotal verse to recite in a church Easter program. He is not here. He is risen. Unfortunately, in the moment, he couldn't remember his line, and the director quietly reminding, reminded him of what he needed to say. He then confidently grabbed the microphone and triumphantly shouted, he's not here, he's in prison. <laughs> that could kind of be the uh, COVID-19 lockdown version of the Easter story, right? <laughs> so good. But today we are thinking about resurrection, and so let me ask you, what kind of world would it be if people actually came back from the dead and walked around? It'd be a weird world. We'd have to, to reconsider our, our paradigm for life. The amazing thing is, we do live in a world like that if you actually read the Bible. If you say you follow Jesus and you believe that the New Testament was recording history, then that actually is the world that we live in. Matthew records a bunch of people, we, we just read about it, that, that this happens to, and it doesn't get a lot of press, but it's a validation of Jesus, and, and nobody believes them, unless you're someone with a worldview that's open to the idea of resurrection, which Christians are, and, and then once you draw a line to Jesus as the powerful source of that life, then when something like this would happen, you'd at least be open to it, because the Jesus I know is all about resurrection. And so we have wild passages like we just read in Matthew. It, it happens the moment that Jesus dies. Uh, chapter 27, verse 50 says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. So there's this huge earthquake. The, the temple veil is, is torn in two. And, and the, the, the curtain in the temple being torn in two means that God has opened a way uh, uh, through Christ's death on our behalf to a relationship with him. Suddenly, no more priests, no more middlemen, no more sacrificed. With the cross of Christ, everything in that moment changes. Jesus, through his death, death opens us up to a new covenantal relationship with God, a whole new way of living. And then something radical happens. Uh, it says in verse 52, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. It, it seems from what Matthew is saying is that they immediately sprang to life at the moment of Christ's death. So, so you've got people coming out of their tombs. 
So today, I, I want us to dream about some of the possibilities, if that's true. What kind of world do we live in? What, what are the implications? What are the possibilities? So you have this surge of life at the moment of Christ's death, like an explosive wave, so that people in the vicinity are, are shocked to new life. It's a foretaste of the resurrection to come. It's, it's like that fantastic scene at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, where Sauron is defeated, and there's this wave of, of destructive force that moves outward. It just wipes out the enemy. But in this case, it's reversed. There's this awesome wave of life that moves out from the cross, and people nearby experience the resurrection kind of a, ahead of schedule, a great foretaste of the final resurrection. And they begin kind of walking around and, and going into the town, and, and they're, they're talking to people. It's like they are the true walking dead, only without the brain-eating bits. You see, the earliest followers of, of Jesus pointed to this thing called resurrection. And it's, it's core to our understanding of who God is. It's, it's core to the life and, and the teaching of Jesus. He teaches us from very early on that he's all about bringing people back to life again one way or another. When John the Baptist goes through a season of doubt and questioning, by the way, if John the Baptist can go through a season of doubt and questioning, so can you, by the way. Uh, if one of Jesus's closest followers and forerunners can have doubts and questions, I think it's okay for us. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him for his doubts. Uh, he, he's thinking, is Jesus really the Messiah? And Jesus' response to him is pretty cool. Jesus says, look at the evidence. He says, tell John, this is what I'm doing. He, he begins to list all these miracles and wonders that he's doing. And he, and he kind of caps it all off by saying, and I'm raising people from the dead. And Jesus does that. The New Testament records him raising people from the dead. In, in Mark 5, Mark tells us of Jesus raising a little girl who died, the daughter of a synagogue leader. Great story. He goes to this little girl lying, deceased, and he says to her, girl, rise. The, the, the Greek, the Aramaic is talitha kum. Talitha kum. Girl, rise. And she does. I love it, by the way, that in Coquitlam, not far from where our church is, there are a couple homes run by Christians uh, where they're trying to, it's called the Talitha Kum Society, and they're seeking to bring women who are leaving a life of addiction and abuse and poverty and, and raising them out of that. Girl, rise, Talitha Kum. So good. In Luke 7, another great story, Jesus actually interrupts a funeral procession to raise a guy from the dead. Imagine the whole crowd there, they're deep in mourning. They're, they're on their way. And Jesus says, wait, hold on. Things are going to be okay. And, and Jesus goes over to the guy on the way to the cemetery and raises him from the dead. He comes alive. It's an amazing scene. Can you imagine the uh, malpractice suits and the doctors that are losing their jobs? <laughs> and, and then, of course, there's John 11, where we have the, the most famous one, where Jesus raises a man named Lazarus who'd been in a tomb for four long days. And so resurrection is something that Jesus is good at. He's all about it. He's like, that's what I'm about. Now, now at the same time, it's kind of important for us with our 
sort of Western lenses, our Western mindset to understand resurrection from a Jewish perspective. Their view of resurrection is quite different than our way of, of seeing it and thinking about it. Uh, some, some kids were asked what they believed about death. Uh, Gwen, aged eight, says, when you die, they put you in a box. They bury you in the ground because you don't look too good. <laughs> Olivia, aged nine, said, when you die, you don't have to do your homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. <laughs> kind of implied the teacher might not be there. Saying. Ethan, age 10, said, a good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. <laughs> and we have all these kind of conceptions of heaven. Peter at the pearly gates, or, or maybe a little like that old Philly cream cheese commercial. Anyone remember that one? You know, like, like living in the clouds. But, but Jewish thinking about resurrection or about heaven, they, they didn't just look forward to becoming a disembodied spirit living in the clouds with God. Jewish, Jewish thinking was not, God, save me so I can go to heaven. Jewish thinking looked forward to a resurrection as being something that was totally earthy, and yet a biblical doctrine. And it takes seriously the idea that when God created the world, he created the world because he wanted a world. You know, in fact, what did God say after he created the world? In Genesis, we're told what he says after the six days, after each of the six days of creation. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's, oh, that's really, oh, that's good, right? He loved it. He, in fact, when he created physical beings, he created physical beings because he wanted us physical. In fact, there's something extraordinary about being physical. God never thought it was a bad idea. He wanted it that way. And yes, we're broken, and we've certainly lost our way, but God's way of fixing it is not by abandoning his plan. His plan is to redeem, not to reject. Re resurrection is the doctrine that said God is on the way to remaking the planet, the world, the solar system, and your life, and my life, to be what he wanted it to be, what he dreamed it to be, rather than kind of scrap the whole thing and take us to an otherworldly place or dimension. That kind of thinking is more Greek. Jewish thinking about the future was not just salvation into heaven, but resurrection. So Jesus, being all about resurrection, actually says this in John 11 at, at the resurrection of, of Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He actually claims to be the source of hope for all these Jewish hopes and, and dreams for the renewal of all creation, for all the world. So when we, uh, just to summarize, when we talk about resurrection, we're not ta just talking about an I'm alive, I'm in the clouds, I'm playing my harp, I'm, I'm eating cream cheese, you know? <laughs> when, we talk, when we talk about resurrection, we're talking about re-embodiment, you know, a, a transformed physical nature. I, I think for, for, for humankind, for people, we get a clue to our resurrection actually from the accounts of Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus, we're, we're told, is healed of his wounds, but he still bears the scars of his sacrifice. He, he can walk through walls, he can appear suddenly in a locked room, but, but he can also be touched by his friends 
and he eats fish by the beach. It's good to remind ourselves of that. Resurrection meant not just life after death, but this renewed life, a promise of an embodiment, a new embodiment within God's world. Folks, a lot of people think that you know the end, the last book of the Bible, which we read a little bit of earlier, Revelation, points to kind of like Armageddon and disaster and 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 God's judgment. All this is our picture, kind of an end times to be feared. That's certainly I grew up in my early years with that kind of picture of what was to come. But actually, the Bible and in the final words of Revelation, Revelation 21 and and 22 in particular, points to Jesus' return where he makes all things broken, broken, true, and right, and well, where he makes a new heaven and a new earth. So we've got this image of, of resurrection, which is maybe far more literal than we're used to thinking about. And we've got Jesus, who is all about resurrection. He's the risen one. As, as someone said this week, Lockdown never really worked that well that first Easter. <laughs> now, just for a bit, what are some of the implications and possibilities? Just, just a quick thought about what the resurrection of Jesus actually says about Jesus. You know, see, Jesus came saying some fairly bold things. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He, he claimed that, to show us in person what God was like. In fact, it sets him apart from the claims of any other world religious leader. And the question is this, so what? I mean, anybody can say audacious things. You should hear what some of my coffee friends say uh, in the morning on any given day, right? You know who you are. But you see, resurrection, Jesus' resurrection is a necessary validation of his life and his claims. As the Apostle Paul said, if Jesus is not raised, our faith is worthless. Our faith is a waste. And it's even better because Jesus actually, if you read his stories, lived a remarkable life. I I, I read what Jesus' closest friends said about him often, the Gospels. And, And I'm still, many years later in my journey with Jesus, I'm stunned by, by his compassion towards broken people. I, I'm blown away by his acceptance and welcome of outsiders and outcasts. I, I can't comprehend his relentless love for the lost, the least, the last, and the nearly dead. His radical forgiveness and grace is beyond comparison. I mean, Some of his final words from the cross were him forgiving the people who put him there. But you see, someone who lives a a great and and forgiving life like Jesus did may be a, a great example of God's love, or maybe not. We don't know. So the resurrection becomes a validation of, of who Jesus is. If he'd come, up, come to set up a kingdom of, of power and glory and judgment, he wouldn't need the resurrection. It'd be fire and brimstone right from the start. He'd command and he'd judge and he'd use his power uh, over death to, to kill, not just to raise. But Jesus is God's show and tell. He's not a despot. He's not a dictator. He's God coming to say, I love you. Even if you mock me, 
even if you torture me, even if you kill me, I'll just keep loving you. The resurrection of Jesus is huge because it validates who he is and it tells us what kind of God we actually have. Well, well, that's who Jesus is. And by the way, if you are at all intrigued this morning about Jesus, I, I, I'd really challenge you, you've got to join us on Alpha. <laughs> if, if you want to learn about Jesus, what he's really about, Alpha is the next step for you. And this month, we're af- actually offering three introductory nights, just a sample night where you can come and try it out. One's this Wednesday, it's going to be on Zoom, and uh, you can find all the information on our website. But Alpha is a great next step if you're at all interesting in finding out what Jesus offers for you. But I like the story of an African Muslim who became a Christian, and his friends, shocked by this, said, why have you become a Christian? And he says, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down a road, and suddenly the road forked in two directions, and you don't know which way to go. There at the fork were two men, one dead, and one alive, who would you ask which way to go? And so if you haven't seriously considered Jesus, who he is and what he offers, that's something I'd encourage you to think about because actually when we follow Jesus, we're promised that we get in on his resurrection life, which means hope for us and hope for the world around us. Let me explain. The New Testament again and again describes a life of faith in Jesus as being in Christ. It says when we become Jesus followers, we're raised to new life in Christ. We're seated in Christ in the heavenlies. Paul in Romans 6 talks about baptism. He says in baptism, you were buried with Christ and you are raised to new life. What it means is this, what Jesus is, what's real for Jesus becomes real for you because we're in Jesus. You're in Christ. In Christ, we're drawn into the new creation. In Christ, we can begin living now the way we want to live for all eternity. In Christ, we can have unlimited grace. Boy, I don't know about you, but I need unlimited grace. It was my birthday this week, and and somebody sent me a birthday greeting saying this. said, Derwin, God's grace is sufficient for your space. I thought that was so good. God's grace is sufficient for your space. And it is. In in Christ, though, we can also partner with him to bring about God's new creation in our world. I was talking with a friend this week, and he was just describing how life has kind of fallen apart for him. And he was so discouraged. Um, And he's a guy who lives alone and uh, with COVID-19, just isolated. And he's got problems that are just amplified by COVID. And uh, he's so discouraged and everything for him looked black. And and, uh, folks, all of us have days like this. It feels like maybe all of us have had a year like this. You know, and, and we have days where we say, I don't know about the future. But God actually says, I do. I, I know about the future. It's certain from my point of view. Because if you are in Christ, your future is resurrection because Jesus has already experienced it on your behalf. You're resurrected. It's going to happen. It's just going to unfold now. But it's certain. If we are in Christ, it will be true for us. That kind of hope can can be an anchor to your life. It can give you meaning. It can give you hope in the middle of the storms that come our way. In years like this especially, 
When, when everything is uncertain, we can hold on to God's promises for the future. And in light of that, we're also surprisingly called to partner with God, to partner with Jesus to actualize in the world what's already been spiritually accomplished by him in his death and resurrection. Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about this kind of reg- resurrection legacy that we all have in Christ, and he ends with this kind of words. He says, in light of all this, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, get on with resurrection work, resurrection life, reclaim lives, renew communities, work to restore the planet. Talitha kum, come on, right? We get on with, with, with offering food banks, and we get on with planting gardens and working to restore the climate and doing what we can to restore lives and to encourage those who are downcast. So, someone put it like this. I really like this. God's plan for our lives and for the planet is not evacuation, but participation. He, he invites us, he calls us to begin to live out that victory and move into that resurrection future now. The image I've had this week is, is the, the second coming of Jesus when he returns, that final resurrection, all will be made well, but we're praying and working now so that that future resurrection will spill into the present, that we'll see more and more of it in our lives, in the way we live, in the way we love one another, in lo- the way we love our enemies, all those things. And some might say now, like during a pandemic, absolutely. Folks, the church historically has had some of its most beautiful, selfless, compassionate, impactful moments during times of tragedy and actually times of plague, much worse than COVID-19. Historically, Jesus' people have run with compassion towards trouble, not away, because of the love of God and because of the conviction that God can redeem any broken situation in our world. It's a foretaste of resurrection. And if we struggle to see how God can use the hard events of this past year, we can just look to the cross and we can see the greatest imaginable evil ever, the murder of the innocent Son of God, transformed into the event that redeems and restores the world. Stories told, I was reminded of it this week, of a sculptor in medieval Florence called Simone. And he managed to persuade a a rich patron to supply him with an enormous block of marble in which he set to work. And sadly, his, his design skills weren't great, and his execution was even worse. And in the end, the project was abandoned in the corner of a Florentine warehouse. A few years later, another sculptor was walking through that warehouse. He saw the batch remains, and he thought maybe he could do something with them. Few of us have heard of Simone, but most of us have probably heard of Michelangelo, one of the finest sculptors in history. Fewer probably know that the work Michelangelo made from that cast-off piece of marble was the statue David, which now stands in the Afuzi Gallery in, in Florence. My family and I visited there uh, a few years ago, and 
I, I have never been stunned by a piece of art like I was the statue of David. It's magnificent. It's universally regarded as one of the greatest works of art ever produced. Folks, I want to tell you that the cross is a Michelangelo moment. And I can't wait to see all the glorious works of art that will come out of this time we're going through. Friends, in the past is Christ's resurrection. In the future is ours. And in the meantime, we're not meant to just sit on our hands waiting for Jesus to kind of rescue us from the world. Our job is to stand firm and to live in Christ and to hope in Him and to actively partner with Jesus to bring about the new creation, the kingdom of God, and God's new world. Maybe for some of you this morning, you're kind of at a fork in your own road. I imagine it might be like that for some of you. And Jesus is standing there and he's saying to you, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even after dying. And if that's you, if, if you've been stirred by Jesus, he makes that promise to you that he is all about resurrection, and all about life, and he offers it to you. And he says what he says to many, as, as you consider the fork in the road, he, he says, come follow me. I, I know the way. Come follow me. I, I'll not just tell you what to do. I'll show you how to do it. I'll, I'll actually walk with you on your journey. That's the kind of promise Jesus makes. You, you know, when you become a Christian, it's actually relevant to all of your life. I love this. You know, it, you're given forgiveness for your past you're, you're, you're given a brand new relationship with God, which is like a, a, a restart on your life and, and a certain resurrection hope for your future. You don't need to be afraid of what's coming. And if you decide to, to cross the line of faith by putting your life in Jesus' hands, I, I want to welcome you to life itself. Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, this morning, uh, we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, you're the one who is all about resurrection. And that gives us hope for now and for the future. And today, we want to uh, celebrate. We want to uh, take a moment to just say thank you for willingly laying down your life on our behalf and then opening us up to a, a new life through you. I pray, Lord, that, that this hope that we talk about Easter after Easter, actually Sunday after Sunday, we reflect on the hope that we have in you. I pray it would become more real in our lives. Help us to walk with you. Help us to learn from you. And Jesus, I pray that, that we might become agents of your new creation, Lord, working with you to see your resurrection spill into the present in the way that we live, in the way we care. For those who, who don't know you and want to make that step, God, give them courage as they, they consider the choices before them, and I pray you'd help them to hear your voice and your invitation today. We pray these things with such gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.